Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How you engage young people is by, by rethinking education, rethinking learning, and shifting the value away from the measuring tools that we have. I still don't quite understand why we keep herding kids into large exam centres we put them under so much pressure. Is that really the best way to measure how much our kids have learned and understand? It's about approaching learning in a way that is more dynamic, engaging, flexible, adaptable, and diverse, instead of having the box that we're trying to fit people in. The Reconnect Project has a number of different focus points. It starts with leading kids on this path to identify their, their true self. And then for teachers and for schools, it's, it looks at ways that we can engage young people in our classrooms so that we can build good relationships, we can help them see the relevance of what they're learning and how that applies to their life directly. We've been talking about growth mindset for years, but we, the system doesn't support growth mindset. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrish Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. Keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself. Do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Welcome back to the Inspired Evolution. And we have with us Steve Centra. Steve, how are you there, sir? I'm good, Emmett. How are you? Ah, oh, I'm doing so well. For those tuning in to Steve for the first time, hold your horses. Today's conversation is going to be a really interesting one. He is, well, he transitioned from a 32-year career as a teacher and school principal to becoming a life coach and leadership architect. I love the term leadership architect. Can't wait to pick your brains about all that sort of stuff. And also, he's a mentor to young people. He's a consultant. His whole thing is about reconnecting, reimagining, and rebuilding. Steve, there is such a richness to, I can tell that education is something that you're deeply passionate about, but I would love to sort of zoom out a little bit and just ask you, what is your mission in life? What does your heart say to that? Um, I guess I've been in education for a long time and um, I've loved working with, with adolescents. And as much as they're at times challenging. I think they're um, they're amazing and have so much to offer this world. But I sometimes think our systems that we've created can sometimes stifle some of their their just natural gifts and innate sort of abilities. So I guess my my purpose is to try and unlock that within them and and help them believe in themselves and believe what they are capable of becoming and how they can influence the world and. Um, I've battled, I guess, I guess, a little bit with education over the years in terms of its 
you know, rather rigid systems and structures. How we, as a guy in a cafe said this morning, it's um, uh, it's a one size fits some structure, and um, I've seen a lot of kids not that one size fits some, and that then manifests itself in all sorts of issues like uh, you know behavioural issues or just general poor health and well being and being a little bit lost. And I guess I want to help young people find their way. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you say that because education, well, I came from, well, I come from an immigrant family and for them, my education was vitally important. Like they sent me to a really good school um, and, you know, they worked really hard day and night to put me through a really good school. So that to me, you know, was now as a coach, I sort of look at where people, you know, place their values. And for them, it was really evident that their values were, you know, their child's education mattered to them. And I am just aware that going through the schooling process, like from the outside looking in education seems like a massive boon, like a massive, massive boon. So it's quite interesting from someone that has been so well-versed with this system, finds it rigid, finds limitations. Can you highlight some of the limitations that you feel exist within the system? Because, yeah, it looks like a boon from the outside looking in. Yeah. Look, I guess... um as as we evolve, we're, we've moved out of the, the knowledge and information eras and we're, we're sort of heading into already into this sort of concept um, era. And I've worked with a lot of young people. I'm, I'm working with one at the moment who's been tested and found to have um, spatial intelligence. And being spatially intelligent, he understands big picture concepts. He wants to be challenged to think. He wants to be... Uh, stretched. He wants to be able to solve problems, and and sitting in a classroom bores him to tears. And um, so he's become disengaged. And he's a really good kid, so he's probably not going to play up too much yet. Maybe down the track he might, but he he wants to be challenged. He wants to be engaged in a conversation about problem solving and creative thinking and using his imagination, as opposed to you know, being told that you have to memorise this particular body of content in order to spew it back out in an exam at the end of the year um, or the end of HSC, which will give you a score, which will open some doors and maybe close others. And um, he's he's probably quite typical of a lot of the kids that we see in schools. Um, the ones who do really well are the ones who can play the game, you know, who can who, who are pretty compliant. Um there's, there's those who aren't compliant, who, who want to be challenged, who, who want to be sort of, um, you know, as, as I say, stretched. Um, and sometimes they, they don't fit the system. And so, yeah, as I say, it results in all sorts of different behaviours. And, um, you know, I was, uh, I was thinking, I was talking to a guy this morning in, in a cafe and he was saying his wife was a kindergarten teacher. And he was saying how some of the kindergarten kids were being tutored and, um, you know, in readiness for school. And we both thought how bizarre this was at, um, at kindergarten age. Why are we trying to choose them to, to learn the body of content? Um, why can't we just let them be kids and have fun and not put stress onto them so soon? Um, you know, William, William Butler Yates talks about the purpose of education as being to, to light a fire, not fill a bucket. And um, we do a lot of bucket filling. And uh, not enough fires are being lit. So 
I guess my title is um, I could be an arsonist, perhaps. I want to light fires, you know. It's, um... <laughs> and when you light them, these kids thrive, you know. They just uh, they go for it. And we've got different generations of kids coming through. When I went to school, you learnt or you got hit with a big stick on the hand um, uh, and you, you learnt quickly that, um, you know, because of the, the, the fear-based approach, I guess, you learnt quickly to comply. These kids don't want to comply anymore and um, they want more out of education and they want to be told that, you know, there's more to... Um, so we've got, we've got artificial in, intelligence um, that can do a whole range of different things. So why are we doing spelling tests still? Why are we doing some of the more mundane tasks that, that AI will probably do for us in the future? Um, I have kids asking this all the time. One boy asked me recently, he said... Um, so why are they still teaching us the same way they taught us over 100 years ago? And um, so these kids know and understand that this system of walking into a, the four walls of a classroom with desks in a row and you sit there and you be quiet and you comply and you write down what's on the whiteboard or you, you listen uh, intently to what the teacher says, you know, the sage on the stage type concept. And um, because he or she will tell you what you need to know for the exam. And um, the corporate world or, you know, the business world, the employment, when, they, when they're getting employment, they, they want more than that. They want problem solvers and creative thinkers, um, not just someone who can regurgitate um, facts and figures, I guess. Yeah, it's quite a profound rabbit hole that you're eliciting as well because one of the things I have subsequently had to look back as well because you've mentioned people that, the system doesn't work for. Um, but then there's also those people like I touch wood, you know, academically did quite well at school, but I also look back at that time and recognize that a lot of being the first to put my hand up to get the first to be in to, with the right answer, um, how much, uh, that was driven by attachment seeking, um, as like an early childhood sort of thing. Like you're, you know, trying to seek praise and approval and yeah, just emotionally, whether it's, I don't think it was driven from the most whole place, um, even the academic, um, those that are doing academically well, um, there are, yeah. So I think there's interesting going ons, <laughs> um, those that are succeeding within the system and those that are also being failed by the system. Do you, like, is it all bad? Or is like some of it like developing like what's in there at the moment as a general? Because I, I imagine looking at it because we talk about, you know, reconnecting is a big part of your work. And I look around now and, you know, this is maybe off topic, but we don't have a lot of rites of passages as young men. We don't have a lot of tribe. But I do look back at school fondly for even though, you know, there's harassment, there's bullying, but I still look back and go, hey, like there was a sense of tribe, like there was a sense of community that the school definitely had houses, you had competition, you had sport, you know, you spent time, you know, uh, competing and also like engaging with each other. You took, you broke bread at the same time, you shared lunches and stuff. So I imagine some elements of it are, well, I look back upon it fondly still, um, even though, you know, there were challenges from that, from that period. Um, are there pros that you see in that space? And then we'll spend some time discussing the cons. Yeah. Oh, there, there definitely is. When, when I was principal of a school down south, um, I was trying to implement 
or introduce new programs. So more vet courses for, say, hospitality or, or um, woodwork or whatever it might be. And I was told that, um, oh, no, this is an academic school. And I said, parts of us are an academic school, but what about the kids who don't see themselves as academic? What about the kids who prefer to work with their hands? And, and at the time, we, we couldn't run a wood class because all these students were choosing chemistry instead. Now, within a couple of weeks, I thought, oh, my God, what am I doing chemistry for? This is really tough stuff. And and so, but in their mind, they viewed chemistry more highly than, say, um, a, a vocational course. So it's about removing that, that sort of status that goes with academia and and catering for the diversity of, of the students in our schools. Uh, my, my brother left school at the end of year nine to become a builder. He hated school. Now, if he'd stayed at school, he would have been reminded by the system that he was unintelligent. Um, as a builder, he's, he's amazingly gifted and one of the best builders I've ever seen. Um, but our, our definition of what um, capable is or intelligent is, uh, is quite narrow. So, yes, for the f- schools fit a, a lot of students, but uh, in terms of catering to the diverse uh, abilities, I think we've got a lot more work to do. Um, I used to, I've run four, four programs in different schools for the naughty boys, you know, the, the, the boys that teachers don't want in their classes. <laughs> And I'd say, I'm going to take the kids out and do something else. And they said, yeah, yeah, take them, take them. <laughs> and um, we would do hands-on projects. The kids loved it and um, the teachers loved not having them in class because uh, some of these boys that I, I had, they didn't want to learn Shakespeare. Um, we, we did up a 100-year-old church and you know, we refurbished it. And we had a grand opening and the Archbishop came and splashed water on them and blessed them. And they were all, you know, felt pretty proud of themselves. And um, But we would do a whole range of things like we'd grow vegetables or we'd build pizza ovens and, or we'd sit around a campfire and, and talk blokey stuff. Um, and I don't mean, you know, stereotypical blokey stuff. I'm talking about, you know, heart-to-heart conversations that they didn't feel comfortable doing in a, in a, in a classroom setting. And so the whole system isn't a disaster. It's just that we, we need to understand that our, our young people, like older people, uh, are complex beings and we can't shoehorn them into a, into a box um, because they'll either try to fight their way out or they'll just sacrifice who they truly are um, to really fit in. And I guess this is where my, my program comes in because I'm essentially I'm, I'm getting these young people to understand who they are and, and identify with their, their true self and not just play this game because the outer world says this is how you should be in order to be successful. Um, and this is where a lot of kids are becoming lost because intuitively they know that this is not who they are. Um, but society exerts so much pressure to say, well, forget that, drown out that, that inner voice, that intuitive sort of feeling that you've got and just conform, play the game. This is, this is what society is defined as success. Um, and and I, I was working at a school recently as a counsellor and um, a really um, high-performing academic school and um, every student that came to me had almost the same issue and the issue was, um, anxiety around results. 
um, or anxiety around, or academic results, or anxiety around um, belonging to the the cool group of kids, or it was all about like you were talking about before about that sort of sense of self and and the people pleasing or that that sort of um, I can't recall exactly how you described it, but it was like um, uh, yeah, like a people pleasing. Um, Seeking attachment, it is very much people pleasing. Yeah, yeah, attachment. Sorry, that was the word you used, and and so their definition of who they are is linked to the peer group I belong to, the the academic results I get, um, the the sporting team I belong to, and so a lot of my work with them was to go, okay, let's let's just put all that aside, and and let's just go within and figure out who you are, and and once you've once you can do that. Um, and it takes some time, but once you can do that, then they're, they're making decisions based on this on this understanding and, and acceptance of who they are. And um, I, I used to do this exercise at my school in the in the city, and um, I draw two big circles, or one big circle, one little circle. On the big circle, I'd say, oh, "You tell me all the all the things in the outer world that, that try to shape who you are." And they would talk about parents and school and and um, their peers and society and the corporate world, and we rub it all out. We just leave that little centre, the circle in the centre. And this this little boy named Maximus, he was just a little fella, and he in year seven, he put up his hand. He said, oh, "I think it's consciousness, sir." And um, so when we so then we had this conversation about what consciousness was, and and what the soul is, and and what is it about us that never ever changes, no matter what happens in the world around us. And and they started to sort of cotton on to the idea that. Um, I can exist in this world, you know, if I learn to, to step back and observe the world I belong to, um, then I can, I can navigate it more easily. And it's that, that beautiful saying of um, to be in the world but not of the world. And it's, it's a different perspective. And often our young people don't have that perspective and they go, well, this is, this is the definition of what I need to become. And... Um, uh, one young girl came to me once. She said, "I said, okay, so you you want to come and see the counselor? What, what's going on for you?" She said, um, "Oh, I'm so busy and there's so much pressure. I've forgotten who I am." Now this is a year nine girl, and so they're they're so insightful about what's missing and what they need to work on. But our programs don't always cater for that. So, and there are some schools who are doing that better than than others, of course. Um, but I think we as adults need to step back and have a, an objective look at our education system too and look at where we can improve and value add and really tap into um, these young people and, and what, they, what they're capable of and, and forget the, the, the fear-based paradigms that we've imposed upon them to, to sort of force behaviour or force compliance. That's so profound because what I find is even till this date, I think even a lot of the people that I'm coaching, and I'm sure that's where your adult coaching comes into some of it, which is you mentioned the true self. There's so much of our identity is formed around what we do rather than just being. Like you said, the big circle and the smaller circle. And it's it's really hard to find when you're conditioned the way that we're conditioned to be um to find solace and comfort and well the word i want to use is deserving in just being like my existence just being here is great 
you know, it's like, what's your name? What do you do? <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you do? And then immediately meritocracy begins as of that point. It's like, tell me what you do, you know? And cause I was going to ask you like, where does the, when you mentioned like chemistry versus woodwork, like where does the status actually come from? Like, do we program, like kids aren't going around going, chemistry is so much better than wood you know like it's filtering down from somewhere surely right um and you mentioned that in the circle like there are so many different points and it's interesting to feel into that because i think a lot of what the inspired evolution is about is helping people trying to like come home to their truest selves it was really what was like at the heart of it was there for me i was inspired to evolve I could see people that were living in alignment to what now I can see is what their values were, what their passions were, what their purpose was. And for me, it was just like, it was so, so difficult to sort of grab onto that when I'd been educated into being an engineer. Um, and I was going to wait to share this with you at the end, but I might steal some airtime. This is meant to be an interview of you, but just sort of share something with you and just going to get you to expand on your thoughts around it. Because I think it's very pertinent to what you're sharing, which is, I clearly remember when I got my enter score, like I said, academically Touchwood did quite well. And when I got my enter score for year 12, for those that are tuning in overseas, it's like the, you know, year 12 finals, you get a score um, and you can basically, well, you're not meant to, but I went shopping for degrees with my score. (laughs) Basically, I was like, I've got this score. What degrees can I get into? And I'll apply to all these universities, colleges to try and get in with this particular score. And, um, I remember up until that point, everyone had sort of groomed me that I was really good at math. I was really good at physics that I should be an engineer. Yeah. And my, you know, my preferences went into, you know, well, I really wanted to be a doctor, but that's okay. Like I've sort of found this middle ground between I'll do biomedical engineering, right? It's a melding of like, you know, maybe we'll build intelligent prosthetics or something like that. Right. So melding medicine into engineering. And I was like, let's build that out. And so all these mechatronics degrees I applied for at all these different universities. Um, and then there's only four universities I really could apply for with that. And then there was two other options. There were six options I had. And in fifth place, I put psychology. And in sixth place, I put physiotherapy, both around mind stuff and wellness. I look back at that moment very clearly. I clearly remember I was sitting at an internet cafe and I was choosing my preferences and I had this intuitive thought, Stephen, I can't wait to have a chat to you about intuition in adolescence as well, because I had this intuitive moment, which I completely blitzed past. Like I just, I, I wish I knew more about intuition then. I was sitting there and I said, I had everything organized, like engineering, 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 top four. And then just because I really, one of the things that Amrit really wanted to now that all the noise from everybody else's preferences was filled up. What did Amrit really want? Oh yeah, psychology, physiotherapy, just chucked them in there. And then I had a moment where I was like, oh, these are in there because I want them to be in there. And then I had this quick moment of like, oh, what would it look like if I just ordered this the way that I wanted to do stuff, you know? And physiotherapy and psychology were like easier to get into. The inter school was like 80 out of 100, whereas like mechatronics was like 92 or 95 or something. And I was like, it's harder to get into, so it must be better for me to get into more prestige or whatever bullshit (laughs) part of me. And I did a moment where I like intuition kicked in and I remember re-altering everything and I looking at it going psychology, physiotherapy, and then all the engineering. And I remember the feeling of anxiety. It was just like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't do that. And I switched it back. Mm, interesting. And I look, and I look back now at how 
different life would have been. I don't think the inspired evolution would have existed, to be honest, Touchwood, because a lot of the inspired evolution was birthed out of me becoming an engineer, struggling down that career path multiple times, getting into the workforce, career misalignment for seven years, then being inspired to evolve, seeing people like you having an impact going, hey, I'm at least interview these people because I missed the boat at some point. But it's really fascinating to sort of tune into, oh, there was way back then, there was an inner voice, Touchwood, that knew what it wanted, but it didn't have the courage to stand up against all the noise of the expectations and the programs that are written for us, the programming that's coming through. Your thoughts on that, mate? Well, you, you've touched on that idea of the inner voice and um, I, I, I spoke about that with my, I was teaching five classes of religious education in this Catholic school a few, a little while back. And um, I, we spoke about that inner voice all the time. And, and at first the boys were quite, um, what, do you, what is this inner voice? And um, I said, well, okay, we're in a Catholic school. Maybe it's, maybe it's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's the intuition. Maybe it's whatever we want to call it, but it's, it's, it's the heart. It's the soul that whispers to us. And I guess there's a couple of things there. Awareness is one, um, you know, if if we can if we can get young people and all people, but if we can get young people to grow in their awareness of that inner voice, then I think they'll make more informed decisions. But the awareness only comes if we give them opportunity. And um, you, you talk about the noise and the busyness. These kids are so busy they don't get much of a chance to to sit back in the silence. And, and, and so they can't hear the inner voice um, and they can't grow in their awareness. Um, this, this school that I was at, these boys were arriving at 7 o'clock in the morning and they'd do choir practice and then they'd go to classes all day and they'd study at lunchtime and then they'd do violin lessons after school and then they'd go swimming and then they'd have a tutor after that and some of them worked in the library till late at night. There was they were so busy and so caught up in this in this spinning vortex of, of craziness that we call life in the Western world, and so they they silenced that inner voice. And um, when when we pause, you know, I, I had I had boys who'd say, um, oh, "I don't want to do this meditation." I did a lot of meditation stuff with them. They said, "I oh, so I don't want to do meditation. I I don't feel productive." And um, I said, oh, look, just bear with me. And we'd go out into the park and we, I'd tell them to take their shoes off and we'd walk around on the, on the grass with our bare feet and they all thought that was a bit weird. And then we'd sit down and we'd, we'd just do some, some, some meditation and I didn't always call it meditation. I said, let's just be silent, let's be still, let's be calm. And um, the boy who said he didn't feel productive and on the way back he looked at me in the eye and he said, um, so I just feel better. And I said, wow, why, why is that? He said, oh, it was nice just to, just to slow down and just to stop. And, um, and I used to look at their faces in classrooms and they were driven and, and most, of it, most of it was um, extrinsic motivation, you know, pleasing parents, pleasing other people. And I guess it's about the opportunity to just be still and be calm, to go within and, and listen to, to what your heart is telling you. Um, I had a lot of students. I said, well, so what are you going to do when you leave school? Oh, I'm going to be a dentist. I said, do you want to be a dentist? Oh, not really. My parents want me to be a dentist. And, and it's sad because if they're going into these um, 
careers that they're, they're not passionate about, then there's a whole heap of misery that goes. Uh, unless we're really doing what we love and the thing that, that inspires us, like you're doing now and, and what I've done for 33 years, I, I used to say, to, I still get out of bed after 33 years of teaching, I still get out of bed and get excited about going to work. Um, that's, that's the sort of career you, you should pursue, one that gets you out of bed every morning and you get excited to go and do. And it's not just about driving the best car or buying the biggest house or, or having the, the best status. Um, but again, we need to create those opportunities and, and um, pathways for young people to, 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 to listen to the yearning of their, their soul and to the, the whispers of their, of their hearts. Um, and it's not a language we often use in the West. Uh, if we were to borrow a bit more from, from you know, the more sort of Eastern mystical types of, of ways of thinking, then I think we, we, we'd be in a better world where, we, where people are inspired by, as I say, that, that, um, that soul's yearning and the truth. Yeah, I find it really an interesting time to be alive with that as well because I find in my, with my heritage being Indian, my travels to India is sort of my reference point in this. I find even a lot of the values that we value now in the West that we look at sort of the east for the east is slowly shifting off its center towards western values as well because they're they're chasing um yeah it's just it seems insidious mate and i guess therein lies the real question of you know especially with adolescents like they're they're dealing with sort of like your Jesus, hormones is a whole thing. <laughs> they're, they're going through so much at that age. Like, yeah. And I, I'm, I remember it like, yeah, very familiarly. Um, yeah. The, there is so much around fitting into the community around them, their friends, their peers, their family, um, they know we well they we we know everything they they i guess because i'm not in that demographic anymore but they know everything i remember it like i knew absolutely everything there's nothing you could have told me like i knew everything and yet i look back and i knew like you know basically ne next to nothing um i'd been yeah like i said you like you said you'd filled up they'd filled up a bucket but they hadn't really lit in a flame um how yeah, how? What's next? How do we how do we encourage the lighting of the flames rather than the filling of the buckets? Look, I, I think there's a there's a couple of ways we can approach it. And um, when you talk about adolescence, uh, I work with a couple of young people at the moment about um, uh, the struggles they're having at school and, and with their peer group. And so I, I use the analogy of the ladder, and I say, okay, this is the social ladder. This is the peer group. Where is where are your friends? And they situate their friends on the top of the ladder or the bottom or the middle. And how did they get there? Well, they stomped on these heads to get to the top. And then I'd say, well, where are you on this? And I said, oh, I'm down here because I upset this person and I went to the bottom. And I said, well, let's, let's, let's step away from the ladder and look at it from a distance and, and understand the game that, that is being played. And that awareness, that insight, really helps them navigate that because this young person in particular I'm working with at the moment, he says, well, 
you're like, I, I know why he does that now. And, um, and, I, and I know that when he's being nasty to me, it's not personal. It's more about him. And so I, I think um, if we can help our young people understand the game that, that is being played, uh, it gives them the tools to, to work with it better. Um, I used to have a, a sign in my office that said, um, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to surf. And, and often we can't stop the waves, um, but we can certainly teach our young people to surf better and, uh, and not get you know, held under or caught in the impact zone, as it were. And um, So awareness is, is key. Um, the curriculum is jam-packed, and I often talk to teachers and say, maybe we could do it this one. They go, oh, no, we've got to get through the curriculum, tick, 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 tick. And um, there is some scope there for being creative and applying it in a creative sort of way, but there's so much pressure on teachers to, to deliver the content of the curriculum because they're in, they're in fear mode as well. But if I don't get the results, then I look stupid. I look like a, a, a bad teacher. So, again, it's this top-down approach that the, the system's adopted. And, and the, so the teacher's under pressure to teach the curriculum. The kids are under pressure to get the right results. Um, and, and so it's, it's a matter of shifting that around a little bit and, and giving teachers not only permission but the skills to engage kids in conversations. Um, I do a bit of casual teaching at the moment and I... I take a few risks because, you know, I walk out the door at the end of the day and I don't take any, any correction or, you know. So I, I, I see that as a bit of a license to take a few risks. And so I, I, I talk to them about, do you know why you behave like this in a classroom? Do you know why you are disruptive? And so we have this sort of, um, it's about human psychology. You know, what are, we, what are we filling? You know, what void are we trying to fill when we're behaving in this particular way? Um, what's going on within us beneath the surface when when little Johnny down the back there is is making rude comments all of the time and and so when we when we hold a mirror up to their behavior and they understand it and it's not about you know don't do this and do that it's not that at all that's that's the wrong paradigm if we understand why we're behaving in this way because of what might be happening at home or or how you feel about yourself and, and um, your lack of self-efficacy or whatever it might be, they go, yeah, I, that makes sense. And, um, and then, we can, then we can start the work on self-love and self-acceptance and, and being true to ourselves and then radiating this out to the world. And it's all about love in the end, really, um, loving yourself so that you can radiate this love out into you know, the world that we live in. But the, the fear of not being enough and the fear of not getting results and the fear of not achieving and being successful and being criticised and being judged by your society, all those fears um, determine so much of our life. And um, there's a brilliant book by um, Dr David Hawkins called Letting Go and he talks about this map of consciousness. And I use that in my classes all the time to look at how fear turns into anger and, and so let's un- understand that behaviour um, and let's not match people's energy, you know, match fear with fear because it just turns pear-shaped. Um, let's match people's fear and anger with, with love and compassion and, and see what happens. And um, I think in classrooms, if we can do that more often and not go toe-to-toe with the, the kid that's really fearful about his own sense of self, 
um, a lot of the behavior stuff can, can disappear. Um, because really it's, it's the paradigm of, of, of this. Um, it becomes win-lose uh, instead of win-win. And it's power over and it's, and it's fear-based models of, of, of control that we see in the corporate world as well. Um, but our, our thinking is, sh is shifting in that respect. And I think we're starting to see that um, a bit less of the head and the ego, and a bit more with the heart can, can transform the environment uh, that, we're, that we're working in, particularly in schools. And, and young people connect with this stuff really well. Um, if we can strip away the, the, the paradigm that is um, working against them, understanding who they are and, and, and accepting who they are. When I feel into what you're sharing and the way you're sharing it, the education system as a whole feels a bit like a, I don't want to, it feels like a massive entity that doesn't seem very agile to some of the thinking that you're proposing here today. Have you found that to be the case? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When I was a principal, we, um, we wanted to build a, a whole new structure off-site um, in the bush somewhere for our year nines to run what we called a project-based learning system. And it was about uh, empowering young people to sort of choose their own adventure a little bit in terms of what they wanted to do and, and how they could tap into their passion. And, and all I got back all the time was, well, how is it going to improve academic results? And at the time, our behavioural problems were all around year nine and, um, so the disengagement was 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 rife at that year level, and and sometimes you lose them and you never get them back. Um, so what we wanted to do was immerse them into a more self-directed program where where they could choose what they wanted to study, and then we create a unit out of it that incorporated all the all the disciplines. You know, there were programs or projects that the kids came up with that um, involved literacy and numeracy skills and problem solving and. Um, in the end, the system wouldn't let me do it. They wouldn't provide the funding. And so we went with a plan B, which was to create the space on the school site. And uh, we spent some money on refurbishing this whole sort of space and we made it a flexible learning environment and the kids would wander down and just they, they drove their own learning, in a sense, with teachers as facilitators. And um, the engagement was... was uh, amazing, and when you when your young people are engaged, the behaviour stuff doesn't happen. Uh, you know, it's it's about tapping into their their passion, their interest, and um, and respecting what they are, not trying to impose something onto them that they are that they are going to reject. Um, so, trying to change the the accepted way of doing things um, was a real battle. And uh, it was one that really wore us down. And um, I'm in schools at the moment just doing casual work and there's, there's not too many people who, who are willing to take a few risks um, with what we're doing in schools. And um, it's, it's a, a pretty widely accepted process that we're following and, and um, not much has changed. You know, we're, we're still herding kids into the four walls of rooms and sitting behind desks and textbook, using lots of textbooks, lots of worksheets. And I can, when I'm handing these worksheets out to kids, I can almost see the pain in their face. Like it's, 
heard the, t- the term death by power, death by worksheet. And um, <laughs> answer the question. Answer the question. And when you, in, when you challenge them to think about some of the content in there, they, they struggle at first because they're not used to this way of learning. Um, just, just tell us what you need to know. Like I, I worked in a school in Brisbane um, a few years back and I had a contract and I was given, I was teaching history and they said, um, oh, here's the curriculum. Um, here are 75 slides on the Holocaust. Just go through those and that'll prepare them for the exam. And um, oh, I looked through all these slides and it was just, just masses of content. And I stopped at the start and I said, um, why, why did the Holocaust happen, do you think? Or what do you mean? Well, how can one person have so much influence in, in the world and, and not be stopped by, by people who disagreed? And we, we said Everyone else around it. Yeah. And, yeah. and they got into it. And, that, and yet a little while later, I got some complaints from a few parents um, via the RE teacher or the, the history teacher, his, head of history, saying... Um, just, just teach what's going to be on the on the exam. I said, well, surely we need kids to understand why these things happen. You know, the the the, the thinking behind it, the psychology. Um, now, just just teach what's on the slides, and then I'll prepare them for for the test. And so we get locked into this way of doing things without challenging kids to think and to to interrogate stuff and to develop opinions and perspectives and and look at things from different angles. And it happens to some extent in, in schools, but I think by and large it's um, it, it's limited. You know, it's not, not happening as much as it could be. And so our kids leave schools um, not fully equipped to um, to work, you know, to enter the workforce and, and become problem solvers and thought leaders and... Um, coming up with creative solutions to problems that have been around for, for a long, long time. So I think we're selling them short in a sense. Yeah, and I can picture that that doesn't just have a <laughs> encouraging, not teaching people how to think for themselves um, is a life skill. It's not just an academic skill. It's not just a skill that you know dictates what career you get what path you go down it also when you're down a certain path what do you do in that instance when you've just been okay where's the question i'll give you the response based on you know me being able to research and answer um, as opposed to actually finding the skills like oh actually things are figure outable and i have the figure outingness <laughs> within me to be able to figure it out um yeah it seems like a bigger problem i don't know if i'm uh, like over exaggerating but i'm looking at you know it's the state of some politics and i know this is not a political podcast so i definitely don't want to go there but you know like how we're quick to hand over our power to people that potentially well in some cases it's like well why do we hand over power to such persons um but then also we're quick to allow other people to make decisions on our behalf potentially because we're not groomed to think for ourselves um and make empowered decisions on our own yeah. I'm treading on fine water here. <laughs> I, I think yeah. you're right. I, like I see a lot of parents who have so much faith in educators and and those who, like I was a principal and, and like I was, um, I, I was shocked sometimes at how much faith people had in me 
to do the right thing. And it was almost blind faith from parents to an extent because, you know, we're positioned as, as leaders in, 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 in the system. And so, well, okay, if this is the way we're doing it, then the, the teachers know what they're doing and they must be right. And so there was never a questioning. There was always a, oh, we, we trust you to do the right thing. And, um, and that can be dangerous because we, we, unless we question everything, um, sometimes things can slip through and, and evolution is slowed down. Uh, I think unless we start questioning everything, then, then we don't evolve as, as fast as we, as we should. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's like we need to give kids tools. And, and when we're talking about thinking, um, I, I, I did a presentation the other night at a, um, it was a men's health presentation at a local master builders association. So in the construction industry, mental health is a significant issue. And, um, we're talking about how if we shift our perspective, then, um, the problem can be seen as 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 an opportunity or as a or a, a pathway to growth, and so just that little trick just there can make all the difference. Uh, and and the quote that I think Dr. David Hawkins used was the obstacle is the way, and um, and, and so just that that shift in thinking. And Joe Dispenza does a lot of this stuff too. Um, you know, same thought, same choices, same behaviour instead of new thought, new choices, new behaviours. And, and just to just to come at things from a different angle and rethink them um, is is a really valuable skill. And I think unless we can give our young people this ability to reframe things and rethink things, um, then the mental health stuff is is going to continue to to be out of control. Um, so yeah, the cognitive processes uh, are so valuable otherwise we we don't know how to find our way out and um, and we get stuck and and spiral sometimes because we don't have the skills to we, we, we put a lot of store in our thinking um, uh, you know we, we know that we're, we're beginning to understand better that our, we are not our thoughts um, and that that simple understanding, can make all the difference but and our brain can trick us but we don't do enough of that stuff with our young people we don't say to them you know you are not your thoughts and let's understand your thoughts and and try to shift them so that you can create different emotions um that that's that's learning to 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 drive this thing um that we often don't understand too well and it, it's i don't want to oversimplify it it's it's difficult but um uh, for young people who, who who get caught in these mind storms, which causes you know, turns into anxiety or depression, um, where I think we we would do well to give them tools to to help them think uh, in more productive and constructive ways. If you could, Steve. Um snap your fingers and change one thing about education and the way it's delivered today what would be that one thing i know it's a big ask you've got a lot of different things that your awareness is spread across but if i could ask you like what would be the one thing that you think you would take as the lowest hanging or the most opportune or the most impactful hmm. um uh, this might be um look it's, it's not a uh 
it's more of a philosophy than than a thing. You know, I I think we have to change the the paradigm that we're working under at the moment, um, and and come at education from from a, a different angle. So the one thing that I would change is 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 our thinking around learning. Um, so to shift from from knowledge and information to to sort of a more conceptual approach so less less filling of buckets more lighting of fires um, and and then what rolls out from there is is um, a paradigm that is not based on control and and fear-based or, or you know um, more more engaging young people so I guess it's for me, the, the one thing is engaging and how you engage young people is by, by rethinking education, rethinking learning and, and shifting the value away from just um, the, the measuring tools that we have, like the ATARs and, and um, the way we measure learning too. You know, I, I still don't quite understand why we keep herding kids into large exam centres um, and, and insist on, and of course they shouldn't talk in exams and all this sort of thing. But we 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 put them under so much pressure to, you know, you've got three hours, you've got to do this, this, and this. Um, is is that really the best way to to measure how much our kids learn have learned and understand? Most kids get so much anxiety in that situation; they're really not performing to their best anyway, uh, and yet we insist on this approach. So I'm, I'm sort of, my answer's probably a bit vague, but I guess it's, it's about um, a, approaching learning in a way that is more um, dynamic and engaging and flexible and adaptable and diverse uh, instead of having the box that we're trying to fit people in. Um, let's get rid of the box altogether, you know, and have... Um, like I, I used to meet with a group and we used to talk about boxes all the time, about how we'd fit people into a box. And um, we said, yeah, we need to think outside the box. And um, one gentleman said, no, 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 let's get rid of the box altogether. And I thought, yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, and that's, that's where we can engage kids and say, well, all right, how do you, how do you want to learn? Well, how do you learn? And, and what's your, where are your strengths? And uh, let's, let's do it a little bit differently. So, that's a very long, complicated answer to, to your question, I think, Amrit. But I, I know, I know from talking to teachers that there's this um, this them and us relationship that we've established in schools can elicit all sorts of wrong behaviours from students. You know, the the teacher goes in there and puts on this this um, this front of you know I'm. I'm the authority figure in here and the student plays the game of, well, okay, if you're the authority figure, then I have to give you a hard time. That's not all students. But um, if we can strip away that, that relationship and, and just be authentic, um, then I think we give the permission for the kids to be more authentic too and we can develop a, a relationship that is less fear-based. And so the, the, the students who struggle in class tend not to mask their behaviour and they feel more comfortable and accepting of who they are and 
Um, so yeah, there's, there's lots of things I think we can do and, it's a, and it is a big system and it's not going to change overnight. But I think teacher training is really important. Uh, I've been supervising some practice teachers lately who've come out of uni and they, they know their, their content, um, but they can't get to it quite often because they're engaged in crowd control and, um, and they walk out of there exhausted and they're at the start of their career. And I think to myself, you, you poor people, you know, what, what are you in for? If you, if, if you're not looking after yourself and you, you're stressing each time you come into a classroom and you're, and you're battling with kids, um, burnout is a huge thing in teaching. And we can see the, 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 um, the shortage of teachers now is, is a real issue. Um, it's, it's, you know, I remember someone saying to me once, um, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a teacher. And they said, oh, that must be, that must be tough working with teenagers. And I said, no, 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 they're, they're the easy part of the job. Um, it's, <laughs> it's the adults that were, were difficult because the, the kids are, are raw and real and honest and, and flexible and, and malleable in a sense if you, if you go about it the right way. And um, that's why I've loved teaching for as long as I have, yeah. And all of that, acknowledging all the challenges, does that wrap in and sort of lay the foundation stone for what the Reconnect project is up to? Do you want to tell us a little bit more about the Reconnect project? Yeah, I, I guess um, the Reconnect project has... Um, number of different focal focus points and it starts with leading kids or students on this path to identify their their true self and to at least acknowledge all these things that that um try to shape them so just that awareness again is important then we look at um shifting our thinking on things you know you if you've just got 80 percent out of 100 for a test and and the way we've set the system up is, well, oh, I didn't do as well as I thought. Um, we've, we've been talking about growth mindset for years, but we, the system doesn't support growth mindset. It doesn't say, well, that 20% is an opportunity to, to improve. Kids beat themselves up over this. And um, so shifting our thinking around all of that is important. Um, being mindful, you know, forget. I've got a year seven boy I'm working with at the moment and He's starting to talk about HSC already. I said, "Why are you even thinking about HSC now? You're years away from HSC." Oh, but I, you know, I need to get really good results because that sets me up for my future. I said, "Okay, so where is your mind when you're thinking about your HSC? It's it's into the future. Um, you're not here. You're not now. You're not, you know, you're not lapping everything up in the classroom right here, right now. And so your your learning suffers because you're projecting into into a future that." Is, is just your imagination. So being mindful and, and just savouring the, the, the present moment is, um, is tough for kids because it is all about the future and, and sometimes they get held back by their past as well. So that's another component, um, building boundaries. And I think it's important for young people to, to have that self-efficacy to, to know, well, once they know who they are, then they can put some boundaries in place and go, well, okay, I, I can comply to fit in with my peer group here, 
but there's only so far I'll go. So they go into it with a with an awareness of, of where their boundaries are. Um, understanding the mind-body connection a bit more. Um, I, I walk into schools and there's kids drinking Red Bull and V and Mother and all those sorts of drinks. And, and I go to them, what are you drinking? And they say, oh, look, I didn't have time for breakfast. So they've had, they've had no food. They're, they're drinking these energy drinks and they'll just, you know, peak for about an hour and then they'll crash and burn and their ability to concentrate is, is shot. And, and a lot of them are hungry and they can't sit in a classroom. They can't concentrate. They can't, um, they're, they're fidgety. And so understanding the mind and body connection uh, is really important for them as well. And um, I, I wish we had the money in our schools to provide wholesome breakfasts and wholesome lunches because I think it would make a huge difference. When I was in my school in in on the, in the South Coast, um, we, we got rid of processed foods, we got rid of sugar-laden uh, drinks, we, we um, introduced Buddha bowls and acai bowls and, and sushi and, and um, kombucha and, and, you know, we, we tried to give these kids really healthy food that some of it was sourced from our massive organic veggie garden that we created. And um, so the mind-body connection is, is not understood as well as it, it could be. So the Reconnect Project is a bit about that as well. Um, so all of that is, is sort of blended into a program that um, helps young people uh, just connect with themselves. And then for teachers and for schools, it's, it looks at ways that we can engage young people in our classrooms so that um, we can build good relationships, we can help them see the relevance of what they're learning and how that applies to to their life directly. Um, so it's just a body of content, um, but to really engage and, and engagement and reconnection with themselves and with others is 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 key, absolutely key. That's the program in a nutshell. As you. Yeah, as you're sharing that, I'm thinking there's a lot of adults, myself, <laughs> that, I, that I think could benefit from going through the program too. I feel like there's probably some parents listening to this going, I want to do the program. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'd be welcome. Um, yeah, yeah, I, um, I love that. And just the awareness you're carrying. Um, yeah, I, I have to say I, I really... I'm enamored by the work that you're up to in the world, Steve. Like there's, um, yeah, there's so much as I tune into your work and continue to tune into the conversation we're having that, yeah, if we had learned some of these tools, lessons, ideas earlier um, about connecting home to our truest self, that, you know, we can course correct a lot of issues a lot earlier on. And life is long, but it's also quite short. Like it's the one that we know, right? And we spend you know, so much time going down this path that's guided by others, yet there's an opportunity for us to forge our own path and really forge it with a sense of empowerment as well, like you said earlier, not to be driven by this idea that, yeah, you know, we're not good enough. So, mate, full power to you. Thank you so much for sharing yourself so abundantly here today, obviously, but then also for the work that you're doing in the world, mate. Um, for those that want to find out more, I'll put a link to the reconnect project in the show notes below, but stevecentral.com is an amazing resource as well, just for, because it's not just adolescents that you work with as well. I think that's probably worth mentioning as well. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you offer in the world. Um, are those the best places for people to get in touch with you, Steve? 
Yeah, absolutely. The, the website and also I'm on Instagram as Steve underscore Centra. Um, there's some videos there and there's some programs that I've offered for um, young leaders and um, there's a whole range of programs there. So, uh, But the website is probably the, the best go-to point to really understand um, what what I do. Um, and it has the, the various things that I offer, including some keynote speaking, uh, working with groups, working in schools. Uh, it, it's all there. And, um, yeah, I think that's the best place to go. But I really, I really appreciate this opportunity to, to talk about these things, Aaron, and, and I, I, um, from, from my heart, I thank you for this opportunity. Oh, Steve, thank you so much again, really. It's my absolute pleasure to have you here, and I have to say it was really nice to speak to a fellow Aussie <laughs> <laughs> today. So thanks again for everything you're doing, mate. We'll give you a stay in touch. Yeah, and thank you for what you do. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great um, uh, platform that you offer, so thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of The Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. Bye.